I've always been, from a child, interested in the symphonic form. You know, mm. I, I found an old diary of mine from 1948, where I was actually writing about sonata form and uh, what I saw as the possibilities in the kind of symphonic form. And I was always excited by listening to symphonic music. And for instance, I got to know all the Beethoven symphonies bit by bit. And I distinctly remember uh, coming across a performance listed in the Radio Times, as it was then, um, of his fourth symphony. I'd known all the others, and I was trying to guess, what would this be like, this fourth symphony? And of course, it was miles better than anything I had ever imagined it might be, you know. So it's, it's been with me all my life. And uh, the opportunity to, I, I actually wrote a symphony when I was about 17. I entered it for the Carolyn Prize, which was a, an RTE competition at the time. And uh, I dropped composing for a while then because I wasn't able to find my way at all. I didn't know how to go about it. And uh, it was just years later when I began to take an interest in uh, serial music. And I got a lot of um, encouragement, if you like, from people in RTE, Hans of Alderman Rosen, Jerry Victory and that. And I, I began to write. But, uh, but, and I, I followed that kind of discipline for quite a long time, but I felt it was leading me ultimately into a cul-de-sac. And uh, so I, if you like, stood back and took stock of where I was and uh, um, changed my style of writing to try and make it more immediately communicative without lowering any standards that I would set for myself. And it was when I did that, that I had found a language that I could, uh, if you like, inject into symphonic thinking. The first symphony came in 1985, very much with the encouragement of uh, Albert Rosen at the time. And at that time, through a whole series of events, I decided, I was head of music in RT at the time, I decided if I, this is my opportunity now, if I can leave RTE and uh, work out the finances that I'd be able to devote my time to writing music generally, but with an eye to a series of symphonies as the backbone of the whole thing. And that came about okay. I applied as a member of ASTON for Canoes, but I didn't get it. Uh, so RTE gave me a series of commissions, which helped me financially bridge the gap, because I had two young children at the time. So that led to reaching number six. And I had it in my mind then that uh, that was the end of the project. And funnily enough, while number six was being rehearsed for performance in 1994, I was leaving uh, the rehearsal and I bumped into Jeff Spratt from UCC. And uh, I was telling him what was going on. And he said, would you not write one for, for our orchestra? So that led to number seven. And then I got another commission from RT for number eight. The, the chamber orchestra wrote in with another commission then. 
for number nine string for a string orchestra. And so the, the, the things just moved ahead. And then I'd gotten involved with the West Cork Chamber Music Festival and that, and I had a few commissions there, and I tended to write a lot of chamber music and that. So I eventually reached a stage where I said, I'd like to write another symphony, but I don't want it attached to anything. I just want to do it. I don't want to have performers in mind. I just want to do it in my own time. So I took time out and uh, I tried to familiarize myself with music that I didn't know, which was contemporary music in the orchestral line, uh, mainly Australian, East European and uh, Scandinavian. So I took time out just to study, listen, scores, etc., etc. Now, whether that had any effect on what I did later, I do not know. But during that time, I, for no reason that I can sort of give you, I decided that I'd actually write for a classical-sized orchestra, which would be a real discipline, and there'd be no easy way out with trombones, blaring, things like that. So. These were the sort of general ideas when I went into the work. And of course, when you start to work, you're never quite sure, even though you might plan it, where you're actually going to end up. So it ended up as a piece about 26 minutes long. It scored for double wind, two trumpets, two horns, and timps, so it's standard. And uh, it's um, very much an expression of myself, you know, um, whatever that is, and I see the, the three movements as kind of chapters rather than movements, because there's a lot of common material everywhere. And there's a clarinet intro, solo clarinet, who more or less lays out everything as to what's going to be discussed later. So you've got a fast movement, you've got a slow movement, which as it went on uh, captured some very poignant memories for me and uh, then a very brisk finale. I just reached a stage where I wanted to sit back and say, wise myself up on other repertoire and then see where that led me. And then the decision to restrict it down to a small orchestra and uh, just take it from there and see what, what came out. So I revised it quite a lot as well. So I kind of pared it down quite a lot, so um, it's a short symphony. It's more or less attack out from one movement to another, not quite. And as I say, the material is very similar and different aspects of it. So I suppose the classical precedent would be Schumann's Ford, you know, where you keep find these thematic things coming back all the time. And, and, and what sort of a, a, a future, you know, symphonic writing has in Ireland. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I suppose it's a bit like the novel, you know, it'll always be there as a form. It'll always be available to people if they want to use it. Uh, 
it's lasted quite a long time now um, <clears throat> and trying to predict the future in that respect is is well it's always difficult which we could and uh, it's, that would be a matter of knowing how many people were interested in writing into, into symphonic form but there's one drawback here in that access to an orchestra is very very limited we've really got the one professional symphony orchestra we have a wonderful concert orchestra uh, we have the one in the north but I was on a commission to, to uh, Finland in 1994 and I found there were something like 35 orchestras in the country so if we had 35 orchestras in Ireland which has the same population uh, we'd have a lot more orchestral music and I'm sure a byproduct of that would be people writing symphonies. And do you, and do you, I mean, I mean, do you, do you worry in terms of the future for, you know, orchestral music within within Ireland? That the fact that, you know, we are in in a in a country where there are so many less resources and those resources are shrinking and yes. what that kind of means for the evolution of, a, of, of an art form. Of an art form, yeah. I, I wouldn't worry about it because I, I cannot see in the present circumstances somebody deciding to axe the RT Symphony Orchestra. Mm. Like in, we, we're now a part of a European community and we have to have some standards. For a composer, it must be very satisfying given the, the, the issues with mounting performances of these works and the fact that most of the time they're only performed maybe once or yes. very lucky twice to be able to document them yes. in, in as high quality uh, yes. as possible so that, tell me a little bit about your, your well you see if to make the comparison between other art forms um, if you uh, write books they'd be published they'd be disseminated if you make a painting it exists immediately, it can be reproduced very easily. Uh, but the problem about music, especially orchestral music, is that the, the cost of providing an orchestra for maybe the, a week, which it took to do that record, is very high. And that, that, that problem is now being tackled between RTE and the Arts Council because they, they're producing a series of recordings now. But I must say, I've been lobbying myself for that for 30, 40 years. And uh, to try and get this idea that if you want Irish music to begin to live and begin to go abroad, it has to be recorded. 